speak to leading sales professionals who are sharing their experiences and insights on the current sales landscape. My name is Paige. Here with our host, Joseph Fung, is our guest today, Kelly Lampkin. In this episode, they will talk in depth about social selling, its misconceptions, and what it really means. Thanks so much for joining us, Kelly, and let's get started. Great to be chatting. Would love it if you could help us understand, uh, you know, a little bit about your role, your background. Who is Kelly Lincoln? <laughs> so I work at NetSuite Oracle. I started out in our business development program. I was actually one of the original members of the PDR program that uh, NetSuite built. I did that for a little while, then I got promoted to a sales rep, which is the typical path that we see from our BDRs. Excelled in that role for a couple of years, then helped to design and build our emerging team and managed a group of primarily like out of college reps. Then I had the opportunity to travel the world, so I pitched NetSuite on the idea of traveling with a group called Remote Year. Together with Remote Year, I did about 22 countries in 12 months, and in that role with NetSuite, I was designing our social selling program. So I worked really closely with LinkedIn and our sales operations team, as well as our customers, our partners, and our sales reps on four continents to help us grow and be more effective in our social selling. And now I'm back to the United States, relocated to San Francisco, and covering our most strategic customers in our San Francisco technology uh, vertical. And the ideas of social selling are so pervasive everywhere. In fact, my, my most recent conversation with a sales rep from NetSuite mm-hmm. uh, was just yesterday on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's, it's you know definitely resonating. Um, but that's that's so fascinating, traveling and sharing social selling. What, mm-hmm. what was the genesis of that program and, and what did it look like? Yeah, I think NetSuite has always been interested in partnering with LinkedIn to better understand how we can listen to our customers, how we can sell to our customers. And I think in a market where products are becoming more and more commoditized and people want to buy, not based on the product and the features and the pricing they want to base, they want to buy based on the service. We really saw that as an early adopter to invest in making sure that our sales team is really well equipped to bridge that connection with our customers, especially in an age where they're expecting much more of their sales team and of their companies that they're going to partner with. So I think NetSuite was a real innovator in how we designed and how we prioritized our social selling path. And then I had the opportunity to work really closely with our head of marketing and head of sales ops to design this role. And it was mostly to facilitate some travel, but also to give me a little bit of diversity of thought in how other markets are are participating in this space. So when you talk about helping a sales rep sell Mm -hmm. socially, what are some of the, the tips and suggestions that they can better leverage? Well, I guess, first of all, I'll say when I took on this role, I had to Google what social selling was. (laughs) I put on my LinkedIn profile that I was a social selling expert, and then I Googled what it meant. (laughs) So I think that's the epitome of social selling, right? Like, I I think until I read it, I think. But yeah, so I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what social selling is, and I don't think that it is just broadcasting. Or, well, actually, we did an experiment. So as a part of my role, we built a newsletter. And the newsletter was sent out to all the sales reps and it had links they could click and they could automatically post to their feed with content that our marketing team designed. And what we found was that the like I could see the impressions and the feedback from customers and people that were clicking into these links. When we posted our press releases on our website or our customer stories, 
very little feedback, like the NetSuite channel for YouTube or the NetSuite channel for the press releases or the blog posts. Mm -hmm. However, we found an outside story that was like, Spotify grows to 10 million daily active users, or, you know, one of our customers is having a success not related at all to ERP, or like Grindr posts a new uh, blog, or they do some cool thing that's totally outside of the scope of what you would normally expect. That is when we had the most feedback, because it's an interesting story about one of our customers, and we're just bragging about, you know, that customer success in a totally separate channel than ERP software. Mm. And that was really interesting to see, I mean, it's just numbers, right? We can tell that the social impact that we're having is much more interesting when we're not broadcasting about our software or our even our customer success using our software, but our customer success doing something innovative in their own space. That's awesome. Now, mm-hmm. early on, you also drew a difference between your simple social selling and social listening. Right. You, you emphasize the importance of that. Maybe mm-hmm. you can elaborate on that. Yeah, I hadn't really thought very much about social listening. I thought also when I first started that it was about broadcasting and creating content and posting content. And then I started to take over our user groups as a part of my role and didn't really understand why user groups would be part of social selling until I started doing it. And then when we took user groups under our umbrella, we really started to realize that there's so much information about our customers that they're posting about us on the internet. And we want to be able to control that message and also to help our customers with you know, problems and troubleshooting. So when we took over the forums on the LinkedIn groups for the user groups, we were able to have like our account managers have access to see what our customers are posting, help them more directly in their own communities. We were able to organize many more events. We actually formed, I think when I started, we had four or five active user groups. Now we've got over 25 wow. um, on three continents. So it's been a huge growth for our customers to be able to interact with each other more. And then we also offered a really cool service that I think is neat. One of our customers came to us and said, I had a really great experience using NetSuite, not just because I had automations that I saw in my business process, but because I, as a young finance professional growing in my career, got to take on some leadership and organize my team and have an impact on change management in the organization. I want to write a blog post on my LinkedIn profile about my experience going through change management and a series of blog posts about what it took in our organization to adopt an ERP, a professional services automation tool, an e-commerce tool, an HR tool. They really took on the entire suite. So for this particular customer, she was like a young controller and had to work with every part of her organization in the small tech company and learned a lot about that. So what we did with her is we partnered together and did a series of blog posts where she authored the blog posts. I just ghost edited them with her to help her um, have a more professional brand to it. And that was a service that we offered for our customers if they wanted to write about their experience in their own personal blog post, not featured on our blog or um, with our PR. And then we could promote it across our team. So our sales reps would be able to promote it in their networks to help her elevate her personal brand. That was fantastic. So that was a really cool opportunity that we had. And I think something innovative that we did in social selling. Now, in that case, the customer came to you about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said it was a service that you'd offered to others. How did you bring that up with other customers? Yeah. So it came as a service where she asked, could she do this? And we said, great, let's do it. Let's do it together. Let me enable that. And so now what we often find is our account managers are reaching out to customers to talk about an upsell or to talk about a renewal. And it's not always like a value-added service. And mm-hmm. it has a perception and it has become a routine of, hey, when the NetSuite calls me, they want to sell me something. And that's not what we want the relationship to be. So now that we have this among some other value-added services, when we call our customers and we say, hey, we're not calling you to talk about a renewal or coming to Sweet World or doing this or that. We're calling you because we wanted to know how you're doing and if you're happy and if we can help you to promote your own brand as you excel in your career. 
So we partnered with the CFO Leadership Council. We offer passes for our local customers in those geographic areas to attend um, these leadership events um, together as a guest of NetSuite. And that's another service that we offer to our customers. Um, so that's less on the social side, but more on the customer service side. Now, NetSuite has such a, a large breadth of offerings. Mm-hmm. I mean, NetSuite just announced that starter edition yeah. for, for earlier stage companies and you close billion dollar companies. Mm-hmm. Did you have any, any patterns on which type of, of deal size or segment your reps you know, were in when they, they were able to leverage social selling down? Yeah, it's interesting to be at a company that's moving both up market and down market at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't know that many other organizations that are doing that across every industry in the world. <laughs> I think every every NACE code in Hoover's has one NetSuite customer at least supported among it. So we really are touching every kind of company you can be in the world. So I think in terms of our strategy, when we work with a bigger company or we work with a smaller company, doesn't really deviate that much. I mean, I think like as a baseline, like if you're a sales rep and you're going to pick up the phone, and you're going to call somebody that downloaded an inbound lead or that you're prospecting because you think that they'd be a good fit for NetSuite, you have to look them up on social media. If you don't do that, you're not going to have a good conversation. So it doesn't really matter if they're a one-person startup or they're a multi-billion-dollar you know entity. That person, I mean, it's just person-to-person selling. So look at that person on the internet, see their LinkedIn profile, find out what they're about, look and see if they've used the product before. The great thing about NetSuite is, especially in San Francisco, the majority of my customers have already used NetSuite, or they're familiar with it, or they have a friend or a neighbor or a partner that's used it before. So for every call that I get on and I recommend my team to do is look up the person on LinkedIn. I look up the entire executive team on LinkedIn, and I look at TeamLink to see if they're connected to any of our executives. Very often in the software and technology vertical, our executives are asked to be on their executives' boards because NetSuite was the first and the leader in a lot of the cloud SaaS metrics. Um, so it's very often, and it's embarrassing if you don't know that. You should know that when you go into the company if our CEO is on the board of their company. Um, if you don't know that, you know, you're not going to have as productive as a conversation as you can. Mm-hmm. I also look up their competitors on Owler. So Owler is a great resource to take a look at um, trends in the industry and also they compare companies to each other. So every company that I go and look at, I look at their... 10 competitors and I find out if they're already customers because it's very likely that you know your competitors' companies maybe used to work there, maybe you came from that organization. If they're already using our product, that's an immediate backdoor reference that they can start to do that adds credibility for me. So if I do that, I will also ask the account manager that manages that account if they're happy, what they're using, kind of. I also get an understanding of what parts of the product they're leveraging because if their competitor is using our commissions module or our advanced billing module or our HR module, then I know that it's likely that this company might also be a good candidate for that. If they're using our e-commerce module, I know, hey, maybe I talk a little bit more about e-commerce in this call. So because we have so many products, that's also helpful for me to cater the conversation. I also look up their private equity and VC backing. So I'll go on Crunchbase and I'll find out if the company that I'm speaking with has received any funding and who it's been from. Then I'll look and see if any of those funders have also supported my other customers. This is another quick way to find out if there's a connection that I can bridge between my new customer and existing customer base to build credibility again. So all of this takes me about 15 minutes. It would take a new rep a little bit longer, but you have to find out, you know, who on the executive team is connected already to our company, who is their competitor and are they already using our software, and then who they receive funding from or who they're connected to that's already in our network and that we already have a relationship with. Because then when you come into that conversation, you know a lot about the organization and a lot of mutual people that they know. And that's really helpful for them in feeling a connection to your brand already before you've even talked about the product. Now, all of these are fantastic tips for when you're talking about a change of behavior, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially to sales reps that are bombarded with so many new changes. 
uh, it's easy for them to just say kind of, so, so what, mm-hmm. and you know, why should I change behavior? Uh, do you have any, any great anecdotes or go-to stories you go to about how those social connections and mm-hmm. social selling moved a deal forward? Yeah. I think first of all, like I would bring up that the majority of customers today have already decided what they want by, or they're already leaning towards a solution before they ever get on a call with you. So before you've reached out to your prospect or before you've started reaching out to them, they already have an idea of you and your competition, and they might already be leaning towards your competition. So you have to differentiate yourself and win on the first call. I say win on the first call. I think all of my deals, I win on the first call because I'm coming in prepared. I'm coming with credibility. And I think also just like in in dating or anything else, like your first impression in interviews is really important. And it shows the reflection of the rest of your relationship with that person. And if you come to the first call lazy and you don't really know what what you're talking about and you haven't really put in the work and the effort, this is the best time that you're going to be. Like, right, once you're a customer, maybe you don't always uh, put in that extra effort because they're already captured, right? So from the customer's perspective, your first impression is really the best version of you that they're going to see. And they know that over time, you know, that level of effort might not be put in as consistently. So if you don't start with a super high level of investment, then the customer is immediately going to assume that it will only go down from there. Um, So that's the first part of like anecdotally about how I think customers are viewing the sales process. In terms of like actual stories, we've got so many great stories. I mean, I had one rep in Austin in our food and beverage space, and he went into his local grocery store, saw a cider or beer company that he was prospecting into on the shelves of his local store, even though they're based elsewhere. And so he took a Snapchat, used the location filter to show that it was in Austin, and then sent it to the CFO, which was based elsewhere, and said, congratulations on opening up into a new market. I'm a huge fan of your product, really enjoying your cider. Um, also it indicates to me that like, you might be expanding your distribution channels and you might need some software to help you do that. Let's talk about NetSuite. And so that was, I think, a really creative way to bring the conversation to be something personal and get the CFO's attention in a new way. That's fantastic. You, you've also had the, uh, really awesome opportunity to be BDR, an AE, a team lead, mm-hmm. uh, social selling expert all inside NetSuite. <laughs> all in five years. Yeah. Um, it, it's been a one heck of a ride. <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit more, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a bit more about what that growth was like. The the what gave you those opportunities to go from that BDR to AE to team lead mm-hmm. in such rapid succession? Yeah, I think if we're talking about the topic of social selling through that lens, also I would say that we talked about social listening and we talked about broadcasting uh, outside and using your tools to broadcast to your customer base and your prospects. I think it's equally important to use social selling as an internal way to talk about mobility within your organization. And at NetSuite in particular, we're a global organization. Many times my managers were based in another country, um, in Canada. And so I didn't have as much access to our leadership. And I was in Boston at the time, and our leadership was primarily in San Francisco. So I didn't always, like maybe once a quarter, I would get some FaceTime with an executive or my manager. And that does not really help. If you're in the HQ, you have a much better chance of getting promoted, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone knows that. So, but if you're visible over social, you can replicate some of that face time that you don't actually get person to person. I think that that actually helped me a lot in progressing my role. So in each of the roles that I had at NetSuite, I kind of pitched the idea of like giving me a chance to do this a little bit earlier than would be natural. And I think because I could back it up with, of course, the numbers that I have behind me in my sales role, but also in the brand that I had built both internally and externally, uh, it really helped. So as an example, when I became a team lead, I managed our East Coast team there wasn't a team to manage. <laughs> we had a, a, a territory breakdown, which was, you know, all software companies under a certain number of employees. And it was a huge gap of, of customers. 
So what I found is the reps were only talking to the bigger customers. So if like the limit was 500 employees, they were talking to like the 300 and 400 person employees. No one was even calling a 30 person company because it didn't make any sense. It would take the same amount of time to close the deal, but it'd be for a lot less. So I only covered one area code. So because of that geography restriction, I was calling everybody. (laughs) So I think I closed 15 deals when the average deal was seven deals a year. And most of the companies were under 50 employees. So because I was even calling those small companies, I basically pitched to our organization, hey, what if we took a couple of our biz dev reps that have been in the role for a couple months and put them on a team where we get to have an opportunity to sell to these smaller companies? If the reps call and they don't really know what they're doing and they mess up a little bit, we'll get them when they get bigger. But if we can get them when they're earlier, we have an amazing opportunity to insulate against competition coming down market and then also to grow the account and get them on the right solution earlier. So this really became our emerging market. And I started with two reps and a couple logos turned into, I had almost eight reps by the end of that year. And we closed more logos than the entire corporate team combined. That was fantastic. So it really escalated our go-to-market strategy and it impacted product. Like it was really cool to see as a, as a young rep and a young leader in the organization, how we could have impact in a, a global organization to build out a product and to change the way that we market and to change the way that we communicate with our customers. So for me, I was like 26 at the time to be able to have that kind of influence in a global market was really exciting. So you, you had the opportunity to help these reps that were earlier in their career mm-hmm. step into a new segment, you know, close deals they wouldn't have had the opportunity before, all while stepping into a leadership role that you didn't have before. Is there any key takeaways or key lessons that, that you picked up in making that move from a rep mm-hmm. into a team lead? Yeah, I think... I was nervous at the time. I didn't really understand what it would take to manage. I read a couple books about it, but I hadn't really done it at, at that kind of level before. So what my manager gave me some guidance to that really helped me feel confident is he said, you know, as a rep, you're going to close maybe another 15 deals this year and you'll get experience and exposure to those 15 accounts. And they'll be relatively similar and they'll be in the same market that you already understand. If you take over half a continent and run a team of 10 reps, you're going to have 15 deals per rep. You're just quadrupled, quintupled, 10 times your number of deals that you're going to have exposure to in new markets and with new variables and with new competition. And you as a person will be able to grow and understand our business so much better by exposure to this diversity of deals. And that was really attractive to me as like a laboratory to understand how our product was going to work in different markets and how our customers were going to respond and how we could really sell it to different areas. So that was, gave me kind of excitement and motivation to really invest in understanding how to manage these reps because they were each going to have different challenges that I wasn't really going to know how to deal with, but uh, I was excited to learn together with them. So you, you've demonstrated leveraging social selling techniques and closing deals mm-hmm. in you know, navigating internal uh, organizations, and you, you've clearly really owned your career progression. You know, as, we, as we kind of wrap up the conversation mm-hmm. and you think about advice you might give to someone who's also trying to take ownership of their own career direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be some of the suggestions that you have for them? Yeah. Well, first of all, get a LinkedIn profile. Like I hope that no one on this call is listening doesn't already have a LinkedIn. I would invest some time in optimizing your LinkedIn profile. I've got a whole YouTube channel on ways in which you can do that if you'd like to check it out and how you can optimize your profile. So first thing I would say is make sure that your LinkedIn profile is dialed in. Because that's your first exposure to the world, especially when you're selling to a geography that you might not be in. So I sell into San Francisco, so I can often be on site, but I sold into Pennsylvania when I was living in Boston. I couldn't go and visit my customers. They only had my online presence as assurances to my uh, credibility. That'd be my first tip. My next tip would be 
connect with everybody that you meet on LinkedIn and have it be a valuable connection. Put a message as to why you connected and what the context was. Um, you go to a barbecue, you meet somebody. I connect with, I, my cousin is a real estate agent in Hoboken and I met somebody at a picnic that she had at the barbecue with one of her um, tenants that she was leasing out. And uh, he ended up moving to a software startup and then called me three months later and asked if we could sell NetSuite into his company. And my New York City rep, I brought him into that deal. So like at, when you're at a barbecue, like connect with that person on LinkedIn and have a meaningful connection. Anytime you have bi-directional communication with somebody, even over email, I would connect with them. And then that just helps you to build your network, especially as a young person who I was 25 years old and I was selling to CFOs my parents' age. And they have bought ERP software never, maybe once a decade. I'm selling it every day for a young person, especially when I manage a team of 22-year-olds that were just out of college and had you know six months of phone training. And then I'm like, great, go call the CEO and CFO of this 100-person company and tell them how they should run their business. They were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think that the best way for you to build your credibility is to understand your product, but also understand your market. Like when I go and talk to that CFO and they're decades older than me and they have a lot more experience and they brought a company public and I haven't done those things, but I've worked with hundreds of companies that have, right? So I have a good story that I can tell them about their peer group. And there's a lot of stuff that I know about the organization and their peer group that I see from the outside that can be valuable. And so I think having the confidence to connect with your customers, understand their story, um, and really be able to tell that story to your prospects bridges that connection. It helps you become an expert and a friend to their organization and not a sales rep. That's awesome. That's really great. Um, and, and one last kind of tiny question as we, we kind of close up, uh, would love to hear, you know, what next, you know, what's, what, what kind of big projects are, are you working on that we can watch out for as we follow you on LinkedIn and oh, your thanks. adventures? <laughs> so I'm doing a course with LinkedIn on their Linda network. So I'm putting together a social selling course on Linda. So that should be available over the summertime. And right now I'm back in the United States, the whole traveling around the world thing we didn't really talk about, but that's got its own story to it. Um, that story is not published on any blog. <laughs> that's, a, that's a cocktail story. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm working in San Francisco, working with our coolest companies and running a lot of events in this area uh, and still traveling quite a bit on my own. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been good. That's so good. Thank you so much for sharing your time today and, and all of your comments. Uh, and looking forward to seeing that course on Linda. We'll be sure to, to share it out as soon as we see that. Great. Thanks, Jensen. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Sales Leader Spotlight. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, check out www.kite.ai slash podcast or send us an email at info at kite.ai. Join us next week where we chat with Mark Bergen, Head of Sales at Shopify Plus, and why they're labeling 2018 the year of the sales coach.